You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am again joined by Jack, the blogger, teacher, podcaster, and film buff for another huge conversation on movies. So if you didn't tune in last week, make sure you go back and check that out because that was part one of this conversation. Uh, we spoke about how Jack sort of got involved with comics and motion and podcasting and things, how his day job was affected by being film studies teacher and that sort of thing. And so in part two, the conversation continues. Uh, we speak about Blade Runner a fair amount, sort of midway through, which is quite interesting, both the original one and 2049. Uh, we speak about how consuming film is different to how you consume music and things and how it emotionally affects people in different ways. Uh, we talk about the generational differences of of like how certain people view films differently obviously star wars is mentioned but don't worry guys it's only brief we don't go on a massive massive talk about that uh, and then we also speak about redemption and then we kind of end the conversation with underrated movies so any movie buffs this is the conversation for you for anyone who's not as into movies it's still a really really fun enjoyable conversation so really hope you guys enjoy this chat uh, there's going to be a quick promo for spider dan once again slightly shorter version of his promo this week and yeah make sure you go check out his podcast you know spider dan and the secret boars um, it's a lot of fun I've included a link to that in the description and also make sure you check out Jack's movie blog as well as all the other things he is involved with that information is in the description as well and uh, yeah nothing else from me guys I'll be back at the end to give you guys a little preview of what's coming up uh, and just do my usual rambly nonsense so yeah really hope you guys enjoy this um, here is the promo for Spider Dan and then straight after that will be my conversation with Jack Hello, Spider-Dan here of the Spider-Dan and the Secret Balls podcast. Just wanted to give you a quick introduction on what I do and why you should check it out. My main mission for the podcast is to spotlight the best kept secrets in entertainment that a mainstream audience may find boring. I have various guests from all walks of life including friends, family, comic book professionals and actors, while also doing the odd solo podcast and Patreon YouTube video here and there. If you like entertaining and informative discussions and are sick of content creators covering the same old MCU and Netflix programming, take a walk on the wild and the weird side. Swing over to spiderdanandthesecretballs.com for all the information you may need, such as links to the podcast, social media accounts, and how you can support the podcast. That's spiderdanandthesecretballs.com. That's B-O-R-E-S. Thanks for joining me, and as always... Prepare for prattle. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I guess in all of those, you're right, the key factor would be you need to be interested in the medium in order to seek them out. Hmm. I want to seek out this film that everyone talks about that I haven't seen, or I want to seek this film out that is meant to be so bad it's good, or I want to seek this film out that is really going to push my boundaries and make me see something in a new way. And that's something I, I like doing, like whether it be Martyrs or it's funny, isn't it? How often it is horror. The Love Witch was a great movie from a couple of years ago, which is ostensibly horror, but not really. But again, it's nothing like nothing I'd seen before. And at times was purposefully made to seem like it was badly made but not like the room like like almost kind of like bad, tra- bad transitions but done on purpose in order to tell its story mm. um, that's a, br- a really interesting movie so yeah sometimes it's about getting out of your comfort zone I think and, and trying something new yeah yeah it is it is weird with films as well because films I find 
music I have a similar issue with in some ways, which is, but to a lesser extent, like music is a much harder thing for people to get into because you can understand objectively how music is good. But like, mm-hmm. like prog rock is a very good example. Bands like Dream Theater, the, I like a few Dream Theater songs. I think most members of Dream Theater are probably some of the best instrumentalists on the planet, but that doesn't mean I think they're the best songwriters on the planet. Right. Like, there's a song called They Say by... Uh, Darren Malakian um, by, by a band called Scars and Broadway and Darren Malakian is the guitarist of System of a Down and there's a song they say and it's probably the most simple song on the planet to play I can play it on guitar it's literally one string and it's just dun 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 and that's it that's the basically the whole song by like one bit and you just think I would rather listen to that than most Dream Theater songs I know not not everyone would feel that way but it's like you don't need to me you don't have to have all the elements of like being complicated at writing a song or it being genius lyrics or anything like that for it to be a good song. And mm-hmm. I like alternative music and stuff as well. But even if that's the case, songs is just one of those things where you kind of feel it. Like you hear it and generally speaking, unless it's quite an extreme or different drama that you're trying to enter, generally yeah. speaking, you hear a song and you kind of know if you like it or not. You can get mm-hmm. growers or not, but you can't, you can't really explain yourself into liking a song. You can kind of hear why it's good, try listening to it again and again, and kind mm-hmm. of get yourself to like it somewhat. But with a film, like, you can watch a film and someone can explain something to you about the film, and then you can rewatch the film and you can mm-hmm. then really enjoy it. So, a film's kind of that more thing where you kind of feel it when you watch it, but if you understand certain things about it, it can change it. Like, Disaster Artist made me appreciate the room so much more. I really like the room sure. anyway, but knowing how it was made makes it the, the lore of the world almost better, if you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying. I do, yeah. I mean, I never write about music because I don't feel like I've got the vocabulary for it. And you've just put into words exactly why. Like, I like this. I don't know why. In fact, my partner I was talking about this the other day, like, why does this band, who sound fairly similar to this band, why are they much better in my esteem than that one? There's no there's no reason for it. I couldn't tell you why. Is it, like you say, is it a chord or is it like a, a lyric? Is it a, is it the sound of the singer's voice? Is it the, the way the... I, I don't know. I, I don't, I've never delved enough into that world to understand why. So I just avoid really giving any opinions on it because I'm just going to get caught out really. <laughs> Cause all I, all I can come back with is yeah, yeah, I like it. But I think it's really astute what you said. Absolutely. And I'm sure there are people who have the vocabulary for music that, that could explain to me why, but yeah, you're right. I think hopefully if you go back and watch Zodiac, you know, that'd be an example of like perhaps where, we've had this conversation, you can look at it from a new perspective now or see something fresh and something new. I think that's true. And I won't be expecting something different as well. You know, mm-hmm. it, like I was expecting, I was hoping for the new Fight Club, you know, or, sure. or the new Girl the Dragon Tattoo or the new Gone Girl because I watched it after all those and I was like, I fucking love David Finch. Everything he does is gold. And then I watched that and I was like, this isn't the same <laughs> and I don't like it. And even though if it was the same as the other ones, it'd be the exact thing that you just said where it's like, this is just the same but worse. Why would I watch it? You yeah. know, it's... And with music as well, it's like why I, I used to be really into reading music review magazines and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's Metal Hammer, Kerrang, Scuzz, Rock Sound. I used to, you know, they came with a free CD, which is cool. So that's how I got into so many other bands because I listened to the CD of like, you know, 12 tracks from different bands and stuff and then kind of find the band from there. But like I would read reviews of someone who said like one of my favorite albums, like I love Slipknot, but I also love Sia. I love Tech Nine and Hops In Rappers and Scribius Pit, but I also like classical music. You know, Lacrimosa by Mozart is a banger of a tune. You know, I, I like relatively everything in some manner. But I can have someone who absolutely loves this same album that I love, mm. and then they review another album that I love and absolutely despise it, even if they're in the same genre, or the other way around. They'll go, this album is absolutely incredible. If you liked this album, you're going to love it. And then you listen to it and go, 
I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then they release, then the band released another album that's completely different and sounds nothing like the other two. And you're like, this is probably the best album so far. And you're just like, <laughs> but why? They don't even sound like the same band. How do I like that? But when a director does it, it's very different. It's, mm. it's sometimes what you're expecting when you go into it can be different. And mm. you can have that with music sometimes, but music is one thing that I've only got like two or three friends when they recommend me a band. Mm-hmm. I'm more likely to like it than not. Because other people, I can like 50% the same music as them. And we can try and share music and I listen to what they say. But it's like, I'm just like, this doesn't really click with me. And, like, this is my f-, and they're like, this is my favorite song to listen to at the moment. And I'm like, yeah, what? why though? But then when it's someone's favorite movie, it's quite rare to have it where someone goes, this is my favorite movie. And it's quite rare for you to go, really? That's your favorite movie? Even, even if you don't say it, you kind of, you know, when someone shows you some crap music, you might think that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare for someone to be like, this is my favorite movie. And you watch it and go... Don't know why. Can't see anything about this I like. They're, they're very different in that kind of realm. They are. I think there's something much more personal about music, isn't there? I think if you like, if you said to me, this is my favourite song and I listen to it, that's absolute crap. I hate it. You would take that, rightly so, probably, and as mm. I would, quite personally, because you feel like it's it, it's almost part of your essence, part of you, part of your soul. Whereas like, if you said, I've watched Die Hard and I thought it was crap, I'd judge you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd judge your tastes, but it wouldn't change my perception of like, who you are, do you know what I mean? And I, but I think music does. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, I, I don't know why, and, and perhaps that's why I don't feel like I have the, the vocabulary and the, the the knowledge to talk about it. I think it's yeah, f- film film does still, doesn't it? I mean, I think what you said before is really interesting. Like, I'm awful for that. If I go into somebody's house and they've got stuff out on display, I want to look at it, and mm. I'm immediately thinking like, oh, that, all that, and it, I feel like it's telling me something about them, about their tastes, or you know. Um, whether they do seek stuff out or not, not that it's going to tell me whether I like them or not, but it immediately tells me like, is that a conversation starter? I would do that for film over music because of my mm. own personal taste, I think. But also because I think, yeah, I'd be a little bit afraid to do that on music. Yeah. So let's not share what our favourite songs are just in case. Eh? I mean, they're certainly going to be very different. I mean, as I said, like two of my favourite artists ever are Sia and Slipknot. They can't really get more opposite, to be honest. <laughs> I adore them both. I'm looking um, forward to their collaboration. Oh, God, I would kill for that. That'd be that'd be glorious. Um, but yeah, it is weird as well, because with films, like I've had I've had heated discussions with friends about music and heated discussions with friends about film. And mm-hmm. I have I can almost never count a time where friends have or me have been offended by anything. But mm-hmm. if someone, as you say, like if someone says, oh, I listen to that album you really like, I think it's fucking shit. I'd be like, oh, okay and someone watches star wars and go i thought i watched star wars i think it sucked and i'd be like i can kind of see why i don't agree i think it's one of the greatest things ever but if you don't like essentially space wizards and a bit of cheesiness you're not gonna like it probably if you can't enter the there's some people who just can't get into fantasy at all they can't Mm -hmm. get into because star wars just space fantasy at the end of the day they can't get into sci-fi they can't get into fantasy they don't like lord of the rings don't like game of thrones don't like star wars don't like anything like that they only like sort of romance comedies and real stuff and maybe a bit of horror and it's like that's fine i i i understand i can see why that is the case i understand why someone doesn't like star wars Mm -hmm. but and it doesn't upset me i just feel like you're probably missing out in all honesty that's kind of i think it's different music and film if someone hates a film i like i go hey that's kind of sucks for you because i really enjoyed that but if someone hates an album i'm like is that now is my my music taste being questioned now and if so i care but if someone's judging my music my movie taste i'm just like I don't think I've ever met someone who hates every movie I love. There's normally somewhere where you find a film or two where you're like, oh, so you like that film. Oh, so you like all these films as well. Oh, yeah, I love those films. I just don't like those ones. I think it's connected. Oh, my voice making a weird squeaky noise. Um, (laughs) Sounds like a rubber duck from Toy Story. Lord, the rubber (laughs) penguin thing. Um, But yeah, with film, it is different. And do you find with like... 
it must be interesting teaching kids about film because like I've thought when I have kids and eventually show them Star Wars, mm-hmm. what the order is quite a, um, mm. a controversial thing. You know, because I, I yeah. grew up, I was five when Phantom Menace came out. So for mm-hmm. most of my memory, I've had, I remember watching Attack of the Clones on VHS over and over and over and over and over again before um, Revenge of the Sith came out. Mm-hmm. So for me, Star Wars has kind of always had the prequels. So Jar Jar didn't really affect me in the way that a lot of fans had beforehand. So obviously that yeah. changed how I kind of grew up with Star Wars. But it's like when I have kids, I, I'll show them in chronological order probably because it's easier now. That's what I did with Megan. But it's like... I think people nowadays would more likely get on with Phantom Menace than A New Hope unless they're a massive film buff. If they already appreciate film, A New Hope is almost objectively a better... If you had to, like, no emotion or anything and you had to just rate it on cinematography out of 10, dialogue out of 10, this out of 10, if it could stand alone out of 10, how it fits in the trilogy out of 10, all the elements that you would want in a film, I think A New Hope would probably beat Phantom Menace in almost every way. Mm-hmm. even though I'm not saying I think New Hope is probably a better film anyway but like you could still see why other people would if you're trying to get them into something mm-hmm. Phantom Menace would appeal to especially a younger audience more than say A New Hope would so do you find with like when you're teaching kids you show them certain films where like you know you couldn't I don't think you could show them Fight Club but like Train Spotting, you go this is a really cool film and they watch it and go no didn't didn't like that do you find there's much of a a generational thing of certain films or I think there is. I think Chainspotting does transcend it, interestingly. And before we changed um, examples, we actually did used to have Fight Club on the syllabus. Oh, really? So it's very sad to see that go. Oh, yeah, because again, that's a fascinating one to go into in terms of all the subtext and everything that's going on underneath the glossy sheen, which is what Chainspotting is really as well. Um, and both misunderstood films, right? Hmm. When Fight Club came out, well, this is a film that glorifies underground boxing. When Chainspotting came out, this is a film that glorifies heroin taken I'm not sure who was watching those movies and getting that impression because that's not what I got from either of those films but. no well, you watch Jared Leto get his face caved in it's like I don't want to go into fighting you <laughs> mad what's wrong with you it's like and you watch Trainspotting it's like why would I want to do heroin it's like much more of a deterrent than those talk to Frank adverts I was like no his life looks awful I don't want to be involved with that Jesus agreed <laughs> um so yeah, that, that those kind of transcend it, but I think yeah, definitely it is true. I mean, some films just don't stand the test of time, do they? And I, and I think that's I think that's perfectly fair. I think I, I find it more with my own. So my eldest is nine, so we have been through. We've watched all Star Wars, um, which I planned from. He was so obviously been on. He's born in twenty twelve. So when the sequel trilogy was coming out, my brain started wearing. So I worked out that he'd be eight for the last one coming out. So I thought, well, that's perfect. So seven and eight, we watched all of them. So I could take him to the cinema to go and see Rise of Skywalker. Oh, um, lovely. Yeah, which was a lovely thing to do. Um, and we've done all of Angela Jones. We've done all of Back to the Future. So we're making our way through all those kind of things, much like you're doing with Megan, not to compare my son. <laughs> it's, to it's, they're both inexperienced with this film <laughs> and you both, we both love them very much. So, you know. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but we did four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. And I've actually got um, my partner making me a lovely little thing one year. Um, it's like a cross-stitching where it says, like, good fathers start with episode four, which is good fun. <laughs> but his favourite is Phantom Menace, which makes perfect sense, right? He watched that when he was seven, I think, and it's the most kid-friendly Star Wars movie. He doesn't like Revenge of the Sith um, because he found the bit when Anakin goes into lava really scary. Mm, it's it's harrowing. It's like probably the most intense. Yeah. Like from Order sixty six at that point, it's probably the most adult Star Wars we've had, aside from the odd thing and maybe Mandalorian. It's like that's yeah, a lot agreed. to deal with. <laughs> yeah, 
So, um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it, teaching students for, for over 10 years now, it's what you said, you know, the first lot that we're coming through, we're like, in my classroom, I've got a display on behind my desk, which has got books, comics and films that I love. It's just a little taste for the students to see, to get a flavour of who I am and hopefully inspire them to go on and, and watch some of that stuff and read some of that stuff. So I've got Star Wars up there. And the, the kids coming through were all like, they were prequel kids because of the age they were, as you said, very younger than you, obviously. But they'd been raised on those movies. So to them, Star Wars was the prequels. Yeah. And that was always the debate. Well, you know, I was born in 1980. So I was a bit young to see any of them in the cinema. I don't think I did. But they were on hard rotation on, on VHS in my house. And I, I feel like I can remember the first sit down and watch. I definitely can remember the first sit down and watch of Back to the Future. But I feel like I can remember the first watch of Star Wars as well. Um, memory is a tricky thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I think half my memories when I was younger, aren't, I didn't really experience them. They're more so probably feelings and a few vague snapshots that I've kind of amalgamated and created a memory out of it more so sure. than an actual memory. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. It's, it's interesting that, that debate of like, it's what, I guess at the age, what most appeals to you, but also like, we'll be getting this in another 10 years time, right? The kids that are coming through in the next generation, if I'm still teaching another 10 years, 15 years, there'll be sequel trilogy kids. Oh yeah. So they'll be back to the journey of Ray and, and rightly so, you know, she's an important character and it's an important journey for her. Even if we don't agree with every step that they took, yeah. which we don't. Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I'm with you. I think what I've heard you talking about is obviously the, the, your main criticism has been Rise of Skywalker, which is certainly my own too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's before we go down that that path, which is probably another whole podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, it's fascinating seeing what appeals and, and understanding the reasons why. Yeah, because I think the Phantom Menace part of it is like Jar Jar's silly and annoying, but mm-hmm. when I was young, I didn't find him that silly and annoying. I was just like, oh, he's a stupid character. Because mm-hmm. you watch kids' shows and like half the like proper young kids, you know, pre-seven, half, if not all the characters in shows just all act like Jar Jar all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. So when you get to a film like that, you go, oh, he's the silly one. And then it's like, that makes sense for a kid. But when you watch mm-hmm. it as an adult, you're just like, plot-wise, you're like, he added nothing. Aside from <laughs> Qui-Gon going to Gungan City, which you already knew about anyway, so realistically, you could have Jar Jar not in it, Qui-Gon could have just known about the city, skip like 15 minutes of nonsense, and the whole thing would basically be the same. So that's, when I watch it, the more I watch it, the more it frustrates me, but many people I know who are um, more close to your age and things and have kids, they're like, Phantom Menace is their favourite, or they love Jar Jar. Like, like, mm-hmm. Megan even says, when she remembers Star Wars, she remembers Phantom Menace. She liked Jar Jar when she was mm-hmm. young, because she used to get those um, toys in the Walker packets, which stuck out the tongue, and right, yeah. little Jar Jar things. And it's like, you know, I've, I don't like, I'm not a toxic, I know you're not saying I am, but I'm not a toxic Star Wars person. I love all Star Wars. I love, mm. I love Rise of Skywalker. I love it. I just love it the least of all the films. You know, sure. it, it's, it's just one of those things. And it doesn't mean the films are bad. I think there are mm-hmm. elements of it, which mm-hmm. definitely could be improved. But when you get, when you get kids, I, I've thought like, would I show them, you know, the sequel trilogy first? Cause realistically looking at them now, visually, like obviously all of them visually are incredible because George Lucas especially for the first six obviously because they were the ones he were involved with visually they're incredible you know I'd, I'd argue Phantom Menace is almost better visually in some ways than the original trilogy mm-hmm. but it lacks so much heavier in things like dialogue that it, it outweighs itself but like there's certain shots in, in the in the prequel trilogy that are just phenomenal and mm. the, the lightsaber battles are incredible the battle scenes are huge and massive because obviously not only the budget but the technology and then with sequel trilogy 
if no, I don't think this, but if nothing else, the sequel trilogy looks phenomenal visually, mm-hmm. like absolutely top top tier of special effects and uh, physical effects and everything. And it's like mm-hmm. if you're trying to get someone into something, it's almost like with food in some ways. You know, the first thing is what you kind of see, and mm-hmm. if a film. I love New Hope, but it, it, even watching it in the the millionth time remastered version, mm-hmm. you can still tell it's old. E- sure. Even even if yeah. the visuals are perfect and the audio is perfect, the, the feeling of it is it's old. It takes its time with things. It's not in a mm-hmm. rush. It's not in a hurry. You know, when he's talking with Obi-Wan and stuff and the whole, all of the start, you know, you've got the part of Vader that's quite intense, but from the fir- after the first five minutes, it's relatively nothing for about an hour which mm-hmm. is amazing when you're getting into the world. When you're a kid trying to get into something, you're like, these old people and this young boy are just all talking with this furry thing. Whereas, like, <laughs> you know, at least a Phantom Menace, it's like, oh, this is kind of boring stuff. Oh, there's the silly one again. Oh, there's lightsabers. Oh, there's a talking droid there. Oh, and then sequel trilogy is just like, you know. Yeah. And so it's kind of, I think it's in hand in hand with, you know, how people consume media now as well probably has an impact. Yeah. You know, where there's a lot more instant gratification. So people. You know, I love the MCU movies, but it's like a lot of it is if they're not if there's not action and it's not moving the plot, they're quipping. It's just one of the three. And normally if they're doing one thing, they're gonna do one of the other two things within the next five or ten minutes. And it's just kind of bouncing between those. Whereas, you know, you watch a film like I know it's not a kid's film, but you watch like Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. That's not trying to grab your attention at but this is just here's a really interesting slow burn narrative. And it's yeah. phenomenal. There's yeah. no jumping out bit, but it's kind of older films, some of the more some of the best films ever made, like Shawshank Redemption, like that's mainly a talking film. Mm-hmm. That's the majority of it is just dialogue, and it's amazing. Mm. And I, I just wonder, like with films today, like are there, are they going to make many more films that come out today that aren't just indie films that are brilliant and are just talking, or is that fading somewhat into like a new era in a, in a way? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean cinema's constantly changing, isn't it? I mean, part of what I of teaching is that we do it through through the years, so we do classic Hollywood, uh, modern, modern Hollywood, but I mean, you know, um, from 15, 20 years ago, with the British world. And then we go all the way back to silent cinema. And you can see the eye rolling and you can see the the thoughts of the students before they watch it. So we watch um, a film called Sunrise by a, a German director. But he, it was his first American film called uh, Murno. So we watched that. And I guarantee by the end, they're all invested in the story and they're all interested so I think it's just, I don't know. I think for me with my kids, and obviously my, my two-year-old is not experiencing this yet because he's not watching movies. He loves Jungle Book. He's watched all of that. He wouldn't sit all the way through Robin Hood, the Disney one. So we're not, you know, we've got Jungle Book, but we're not quite there with anything else yet. Um, but my eldest, I think it's not gatekeeping, but for me it's about trying to expose him to as much as possible so he understands there's not only one type. Hmm which is a discovery I came to myself because I, I was lucky enough really that um, I had a video shop at the end of my road. So I'd go walk down the like, local video shop. And from quite an early age, I got given a TV and video combi, you know, as they were mm. back in the day. So I could just record stuff off TV. Um, so I was just investigating. Um, and I was just basically allowed to watch what I wanted, which was, um, a, you know, a blessing in disguise really. So for him, I'm trying to just expose him to as much as possible. So, you know, he's watched Indiana Jones, he's watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, which has its big action moments, but does a bits of talking. It's a fairly fast paced film, don't get me wrong, compared to New Hope. But, you know, he's watched New Hope and he's watched Back to the Future and um, he's watched 
trying to think of some things which are totally different. In fact, he showed me the other day, because it's one of his mum's favourites, he showed me a movie called Candle Shoe, which was an old Disney movie starring Jodie Foster, oh, which okay. um, very little happens for the whole movie. We watched Swallows and Amazons with him, the, the old um, version of that British movie. Very sedate about some kids going to stay on a, a like idyllic countryside and they go and stay on an island and they play adventure games and they get involved in like a little scenario. Like no, nothing happens for 90 minutes. <laughs> I was bored out of my mind. He absolutely loved it. So, but I think because I'm trying to expose him to as many different things as possible. Um, so I think that's really important. And I think, I hope by the end of two years of my teaching, that's something the students walk away with is that they love Fast and Furious and that's absolutely fine. So do I, so do you. There's nothing wrong with loving Fast and Furious. But there's a whole world out there of things to to watch and enjoy, and it's worth giving everything a try before you just write it off immediately. And I think mm. we prove that through watching Silent Cinema. We prove that by watching Casablanca. The one they always hate year after year is the original Blade Runner. Funnily enough, I hate that film. I, <laughs> I want to clarify. I, I, I've, I've got a little story of Blade Runner. Yeah, please. Um, so I, my dad loved harrison ford uh, my, my late father most people who listen to the podcast know and i think you know my dad passed away uh, when i was 19 and he got me into star wars and stuff and etc and he loved harrison ford i think he liked he probably liked to think of himself kind of as harrison ford a little bit like looking back Don't now some of his, well who doesn't i mean what a man um but like he loved indiana jones like an itv i remember just friday's every Friday they play a film and they would cycle through. They do all the Star Wars, the six Star Wars films, then they do the three or four Indiana Jones films, then they do the Jurassic Park films. And I think- There's only three, isn't there? <laughs> well, that's why I said three or four. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it would just, you know, it'd cycle through. So he'd, he'd normally be reading a book or a newspaper and then he'd have Star Wars or Indiana Jones or whatever mm-hmm. on it in the background. And he showed me, you know, all these films. And he had a lot of mannerisms that Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones and Han Solo had. And... Um, so and he thought he was very cool and all that stuff. So he and he was showing me all these Harrison Ford films and things. And I think he mentioned Blade Runner. And he used to buy me films uh, quite often. My brother used to show me a lot of films and things as well. Uh, my brother would show me the cool action films, and my dad would show me sort of the the sci-fi films, the more twelve A films and Spielberg films, things like that. ET etc. Mm-hmm. And my dad loved musicals as well. Funnily enough. And his favorite, one of his favorite films ever was West Side Story, um, which is which I still haven't seen. <laughs> but I know sure, the I've never plot. seen it. No, no have I. Um, I mean, to, I keep meaning to, but I'm um, I'm not the biggest fan of musicals in general. There's a few I really like, but uh, anyway. So Blade Runner. So I watched Blade Runner, and he bought me on DVD. I've still got it, the director's cut version, which mm-hmm. is I think there's about five cuts of Blade Runner or something silly. But I think the director's cut is generally considered the most definitive and the best one. Um, I think, and so I watched that. Uh, when he was still alive years ago and it was really boring and I just didn't get along with it at all I was like this is and this is around the time the prequels were out and stuff and I was really into them and obviously it's a very very different paced film to those sort of stuff the years years went by um, and I got into more more sci-fi and something a term I use uh, which is dirty sci-fi Star Wars has a bit of it the Millennium Falcon's a pretty good uh, show of yeah. dirty sci-fi but the true dirty sci-fi I like is you've got Aliens you've mm-hmm. got Predator not polished sci-fi that's the opposite you know I know Star Trek has its dark moments so Star Trek is quite a polished sci-fi you know mm-hmm. um, Passengers is quite a polished sci-fi in that mm-hmm. way where Whereas District 9 and Elysium, that's dirty sci-fi. When you've got ri- amazing technology but poor people, I think, is kind of where sure. it, it mixes. And so I was like, oh, I'm really into District 9. It's one of my favourite films ever. I'm really getting into these sci-fi films. Well, I'm going to give Blade Runner another go. So I watched it again years later. I actually hated it more 
I thought it was even worse. I was like, how do I even make it through it the first time? And then Blade Runner 2049 mm-hmm. uh, came out. And I saw the trailer. I was like, that looks quite good, actually. And me and my mate, I used to go to the cinema all the time. I used to have an Odeon Limitless card. So me and my mate, Callum, and another mate of mine, Alex Hart, for about two years, we were just going to see everything. We were all single. We were all in our 20s. We all had enough money and stuff. So we were just always going to the cinema two, three times a week a lot of the time and seeing everything, especially at Halloween, just every horror film there was. Um, and so we saw Blade Runner and we rewatched it. And I rewatched it with my brother, Justin, uh, who's only a couple years older than me. Um, he's yeah. brother by marriage, not by um, anything else. Unnecessary details. Um, but we watched this. <laughs> we watched Blade Runner. And Justin said, oh, I remember loving this film. And Callum said, oh, I remember this one being all right. And I said, I remember hating this film, but I'm going to give it my all. And we watched it about... I think we were going to see Blade Runner that day, actually. So we watched Blade Runner and then went and saw Blade Runner 2049. And after it, we were like have we made a mistake buying tickets to 2049? We were like, that was... And I was like, that's even worse than I remember it the first two times. I was like, this is one of the, genuinely one of the least enjoyable films I've ever seen, which I don't say that about a lot of films. Mm-hmm. And I'm really upset to have said that about Blade Runner. But I watched 2049, and I think it's one of the best sci-fi films ever made. I was like, it's just one of those things where I was like, I don't understand. But I think I want to show Megan 2049, and Blade Runner's on the film list. Mm-hmm. I really don't like Blade Runner, but you can't appreciate 2049 until you've seen Blade Runner. And I think it is worth it. But it's just, I don't understand why, but I think they're two... I mean, perhaps you, because I assume you like uh, both of them. Mm. They're very different, aren't they? Like, the way they are, I think, even if the themes can be similar. Yeah, I mean, I think Blade Runner is a very pessimistic film, isn't it? There's no, there's no, there's nothing hopeful in Blade Runner at all. Well, there definitely is in 2049. Hmm. And I think, if I remember rightly, I hope I'm right about this. I think, you know, really Scott is not necessarily in a good place when he's making Blade Runner as well, which I think seeps through into it. I think, he, you know, at, well, some sort of creative control was taken away from him, wasn't it, at a certain point, whether in the edit or what. And I think, you know, personal life and stuff was a little bit difficult. Harrison Ford is always a bit of a prickly guy, isn't he? Yeah, characters are amazing, but the guy is a bit of a prick from what I've heard yeah. a lot of the time. With interviews, he's quite difficult as well. I was like, why did you do Star Wars? Money. Okay, thanks yeah. for that, dude. <laughs> Destroying my childhood one step at a time. <laughs> and it wasn't what the studio wanted either, was it? I mean, they wanted the next Star Wars. I mean, they had a sci-fi movie starring Harrison Ford. I mean, they wanted the next franchise. So, um, I mean, that film had a rough time. I think there's glimmers of humanity in there that you can find. It's really slow paced, mm-hmm. really slow paced. That's what the students tend to really struggle with is the pace of it. It's a quite um, long as well, even if you don't get the director's cut edition. Um, do you show the student director's cut edition? or do you We do director's that? cut, yeah. So I think the two people tend to pick as directors or final. Um, I, I prefer the director's cut over the final cut. Um, just a few of the tweaks in the final cut for me does that thing that often I think when uh, directors revisit their films later on sometimes, I think they they sometimes make things obvious that we they do that they do that thing where like they tell you stuff which we already knew mm. so that's you know the classic show don't tell mm. and i think sometimes when they go back they do these tweaks and they add things which they unnecessarily needed to because we we already had it already so one the example i have in um later on is that i think in the final cut he makes all the replicants eyes glow right which they do at certain times in the in the director's cut, but only in certain lights and from certain angles and stuff, which makes the void camp test pointless because if their eyes always glow, why do you need a test to look at it? Anyway, um, I may be wrong in that, but in my mind, that's why one of the things that I don't like as much about it. 
Um, in fact, I think I had a debate with somebody about this on Discord <laughs> once, and that they proved to me I was wrong. But I'm going to stick by my guns until I remember why I was wrong. Um, but yeah, so we showed the director's cut, and I think, yeah, what is it, about an hour and 52 hours? But it feels longer. It always feels like about two and a half hours, and then you're actually watching, like, oh, it's not actually, it didn't take up as yeah. much time as it felt. Whereas 2049 is two and a half and feels like an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, no, exactly. I mean, it's, it, I will say as well with Blade Runner is that there's two parts that I don't like about it specifically. Mm-hmm. One part, and this is just the era, it's something that happens in a lot of good films, including a lot of comedy films, and it's just when he grabs her and slams her against the wall, makes out with her, yeah. and then I, I know... I know the idea is she's meant to be a replicant and then there's the interpretation that he is as well and he's kind of like, oh, but that makes it okay. It's like, it doesn't though, really. I, I completely, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, if the film was perfect, it wouldn't ruin the film for me, but I think it's because it's slow, so slow paced and there's so many other elements that I just think, mm-hmm. like that scene where he's, um, what's it, what's the stereotypical thing where it's, uh, he's zooming in and he just says a word, it becomes clearer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember the word as he says, but he sat there and I remember when I rewatched it the recent time, and he just does it for ages. He yeah. just had that like zoom, then I can't remember what it's called, like clear or whatever. It's some sort of fancy yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. Vi- visualize or something or, or whatever. And it, it does it. And there's like zoom. And you're just like, you're, I'm just watching Harrison Ford talk at a, la- a computer really slowly for like five minutes. And I'm just like, don't <laughs> cut this bit out, director. Why have you got five cuts to keep this in there? Just speed it up a little bit, mate. Uh, there's that scene where the, he grabs her. That, that still always jars with me. But also, spoiler alert for a really old film. The end is so anticlimactic and it bores me. It's like, oh, there's this big showdown. Harrison Ford's about to lose. And then the guy just gives up and ends. And you're like, for fuck this whole film, <laughs> for that. Oh, my God. It's just, it, it was just so weak for me. And it, every time I watched it, it just gets worse. Because it's it's such a long fight scene, I seem to recall as well. Or it seems quite dramatic. And you're like, how's he going to get out of this one? It's almost as copping out as saying it was a dream. It's like, oh, for God's sake. It's like, <laughs> I know Star Wars does the turn quite a lot, but th- when it, that happened, I was like, this doesn't... It just... I, I still don't really fully understand why he kind of turned. I don't know if it's just me, but it was just kind of felt a bit... Oh, we've run ourselves into a corner. How's he going to get out of this one? Oh, he actually can't. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know it's based on a book, though. I, I'm just... I'm being facetious well, I mean, for that. Not, not really, I don't think. I mean... It, it's not that you know the title is not even the same and um very very little other than the main concept is Andrew's dream of electric sheep is that the book that's right yeah 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 so i think i don't know if it's inexcusable that the scene you're talking about with with deckard and rachel but it's one that's really interesting to pick apart with with students it's obviously problematic mm-hmm. um and and i don't think would make it into a movie now but blade runner in, in 82 is harkening back to obviously noir of of yesteryear, of you know, whatever you want to pick, the thirties of um, where relations to men and women were even, were even more different then, mm. and the power the power dynamic is even more different. And yeah, you've got the, the idea of her being a replicant on top of that. So I think, I mean, Harrison Ford himself is not comfortable with that scene. I know he's quite vocal about it, like he can't watch the scene. He doesn't like that scene. Doesn't like thinking about it now afterwards. So I think that says a lot too. Mm. I mean, it does. I think it does serve a purpose, mm. and I think it's a turning point for his character. It just it could have been handled differently. I think that's definitely true. I think yeah. I think the end is really powerful. Really, I think the fact that something that isn't human shows more humanity than maybe a human. Another spoiler alert for a film from nineteen eighty is is the point of the movie, right? It's that yeah. he he's lost his humanity and he's treating things as if they are things when really they should be, be being treated as as sentient beings and he shows more humanity in saving him 
than Harrisonford would have ever, than Deckard would have ever shown. But doesn't he die? How does that guy die though? The, the main android baddie. So he's he's just like kind of life span. His life force just runs out. So he runs down like his battery, if you like, runs out. Yeah, I don't like that. This happens to very conveniently be at, at that point when he's just saved him and he's given a beautiful speech. Yeah, that's why I think I, I found it a bit weak. Like I'm all up for redemption stories in in the right ways, but it's I mean one of the issues I have with um, Rise of Skywalker, for example, yeah, is that. I know, I know. Blade Runner isn't doing this, so kudos to them for not doing this. But I just find when you have a redemption, when a redemption to me is cheap, when there's someone way worse than you. You know, in, in mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi, it works because it was it wasn't the first redemption ever on screen, but it was one of the first big kind of turning points, and it worked. I found you know, father and son was the only thing that could really turn him, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you get Kylo Ren in Rise of Skywalker. Spoiler alert! And it's just like he's only turning because there's someone worse than him which is Palpatine and that's boring it's like so predictable and bland it was like but it, it cheapens it mm-hmm. whereas in and I one of my most frustrating things and one of the things I wanted in Rise of Skull because for, for Kylo Ren to turn but not die and have consequences that's the sure. thing I'm sick of is that you get a baddie killing people left right and centre doing horrible sometimes sadistic things killing god knows how many people and then they do one good thing at the end, normally saving the protagonist, and then they're just fine. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, that isn't. I can't murder children and then save my son's life, and then I'm a saint. That, that that doesn't make sense. That doesn't work. You know, I know Star Wars is a very big thing about that, and is one of the criticisms I have of Star Wars in some ways. But when they did it again with Rise of Skywalker, it frustrated me. Where it was just like, I, I want consequence. I I want to see. I don't think I've seen many films that I can think of really that is like a bad guy who is who gets re- redeemed and has to deal with the consequences, unless the specific premise of the film or show is literally the star is a bad guy who's literally turning over a new leaf and trying to be good. Like, they're the only two. You don't really get an in-between, unless I'm no. not thinking. No, no. I think that's true, and I think it is a b- big problem. And I think, um, I mean, when I say, showed my son the original trilogy, so four, five, and six, I actually showed him, I've got the DVDs that came out with the original theatrical cut, Really? So they were out for a limited time, I think. It came in like a little box set with all with with the remastered one, but then with a second disc as the original cut on. Wow. And I, I forced him to watch the bad quality because it's not even a great transfer, actually, because mm. Lucas didn't really want to release them. But I cannot watch that scene in New Hope when Han steps on Jabba's tail. Oh, and it's the jarring thing. I hate it. And I cannot watch um, the remastered End of Return of the Jedi when he shouts no. Uh, no, it's when it's... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been so long since I've watched I think I've only watched it once. When it's the Hayden Christensen, Anakin, uh, Force Ghost. I see. I'm okay with that. Well, I don't really like the fact that Anakin gets to be a Force Ghost full stop anyway, because I don't yeah. think he deserves, for the exact reasons you just said. I think the trouble is with all of these stories, they're tying into kind of... And I'm not big on religion. I don't know a lot about it. But as far as I understand, the fundamental kind of Christian belief is if you truly apologize, you will be forgiven and then you can go to heaven. Right. So I guess we're tapping into that kind of idea of um, if you truly make up for all the terrible things you've done, whether it's murdering children or not, you you will eventually be forgiven. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I mean, there are a lot of elements of star Wars, especially the prequels. You've got the whole, you know, immaculate um, conception thing. You've got him being the chosen one. It's a lot of Jesus stuff, isn't it really? Um, And it is, it's like with Blade Runner as well. I think, I think with twenty forty nine as well, it had it had a lot of updates to it. Like the, visually, mm-hmm. it's stunning. You know, Ryan Gosling's really good. But I think that the way they tackle the whole humanity, you know, valuing replicants, that sort of thing. I think mm-hmm. they they the story is similar in certain ways to the original Blade Runner. But I think the lessons the lessons are very similar and the themes in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But I think they just 
I would I wouldn't say did it better because that's not really a very subjective way of kind of looking at it. But you know what I mean? Like it's more refined. I think there are once again. It, maybe it's almost like comparing the original trilogy to the prequels once again because I think in 2049 a lot of people have issues with Jared Leto which I, I thought he was fine in it I didn't even think he was that bad until people on the internet told me he was apparently um, but there's certain elements I can kind of see have are a little bit like take you out of it somewhat mm-hmm. but I, I think that the bits that were cool were just so amazing that I was yeah. just so but I've only seen that once and I've seen Blade Runner several times so like, did you like Blade Runner when you first watched it and Blade Runner 2049 I can't remember the first time I watched Bay Runner. It would have been in my teenage years mm. when I was seeking sci-fi stuff out. I just remember liking it. So I couldn't tell you like whether I did or not on my first watch, if I'm honest. And even if I I could imagine I told myself I liked it because I thought I should or it was the right thing to do. Yeah. I can imagine that's probably something I would have done. I think, um, I mean, I think it's okay to say Bay Runner 2049 is a better movie. I think it is a better movie. I think the themes that it's portraying, as you said, although it's similar, it's what, 30 something, 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Along the path of, of what, you know, of what we're really going through the idea of like the prevalence of technology and an AI and um, seamless kind of interaction between technology and humanity. I think, you know, we're along a line of knowing what that is. So therefore it, it can tell a better story in that, in that realm, I think. So I think it makes sense that it is a better, better film. I think really Scott's, hang on, let's, I've paused myself in the middle of a phrase because I want to rephrase. I think Ridley Scott used to be a brilliant director. Um, <laughs> not necessarily is anymore, but I think Villeneuve is a visionary director. Mm. Um, and I know people say that about Scott, and I think Ridley Scott's always had a visionary eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a set decorator before he became a director. Mm. So um, something I always teach the kids when I teach Blade Runner is to look out for the little details. Yeah, every shot is always filled with stuff. That's a good world, to be fair. It does do the world building thing as well. Yeah, because that was his job, right? He used to go onto sets and he used to put little bits everywhere, so he fills his films with that. Um, but Villeneuve, I think, I mean, he made Arrival, which is probably the most recent film which pushes into my like top ten of all time. I absolutely love that movie. And he made Man Max Fury Road, which is um, no, he didn't. Sorry, no, yeah, that's George Miller. Yeah, I didn't mean to do that. I'm I'm looking on. There's a, there's a film he's done recently which I'm just um, I was looking at the wrong bit Sicario is really good um, yeah. he did um, there was one other one that I saw that specifically stood out to me or maybe it was no it wasn't what I thought it was sorry I'm getting I, I always get him confused with the guy who did uh, Don't Breathe um, which is someone else whose name I think is not even remotely close to it um, okay I have seen it that's the um, blind horror movie basement Maybe. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, amazing. Uh, the guy who directed that is Fide Alvarez. Totally, they're nothing like each other. But he did the remake of Evil Dead, Golden Spider's yeah. Web. That's what I don't know why I'm getting them confused and why I stopped your thought to interrupt no. you with something that was just nonsense. But I've only seen Arrival and um, Blade Runner 2049 of Dennis, insert surname there, uh, his, yeah. his stuff. I mean, I thought Arrival was incredible. I thought it, it's so good. I think visually as well, like with the whole language thing showing, like. Was that yeah. based on a book, do you know, or was that... It's based on a short story, yeah, called Story of Her Life, yeah, and from a collection, which is good, but this is one of those occasions where the film version is better than the... The, the, the adaptation, I should say, is better than the source material, I think, what he managed to do with it. And I think that, you know, I get, we say the same thing to you for 2049. He's adapted and updated and sequelized and kind of remade Blade Runner with Blade Runner 2049, 
it's one of those strange movies which is somewhere between a sequel and a remake hmm. um i made it better and i think Ridley scott can make things look good he definitely can but i'm not sure he can always tell a successful story whereas i think villeneuve can tell a successful story make it look beautiful and make you really connect with the characters hmm. you know Deckard either is or isn't a replicant, depending on your reading of the movie in that first one. And even they, you know, even they disagree. Ridley Scott says he is and Harrison Ford says he isn't. So that's, I mean, that's wonderful. I love that. I mean, does, um, does, the, does the cut check, am I right in thinking the cut includes certain things? Does that not affect? It like, hints that perhaps dream. his memories have been implanted, but hmm. never gives you a full answer. And that's a beautiful thing about 2049. You still don't get a full answer. You still don't really know whether he is or he isn't. Um, so Gosling's character, spoilers for 2049, discovers that he is not a replicant, but the new version of whatever whatever that is in that movie. And the way they tell that story is so beautiful. And the way that he has this relationship with his AI girlfriend and at the reveal, the end of like him thinking he's going to be this special one who's going to make a difference. But then he, he uses the knowledge that he's not to further that who is the special one who needs to go on and do the next thing. I think it's, kind of what they were trying to do with with Blade Runner, right? It's just done in a much better, more sophisticated, and a way that helps the audience connect with the story than they managed to do in the first one. I think maybe that's where that disjunct is for for people watching Mm. it, that they don't connect with the character. The world's really grim, and he does things which are inexcusable, which noir detectives do do, but um, does things which are inexcusable. And then at the end, perhaps it's unsatisfactory because he doesn't do anything heroic, yeah, I think that's my problem with it. Like, I like I like either a journey. I know that mm-hmm. he does have one somewhat uh, in the first Blade Runner. He does kind of have a journey, but it's quite a weak one. It, it's really, mm. it's like, ah, he's not really a big fan of replicants. Ah, he's kind of all right with them. That, that For me, that's kind of it. It's not like, oh, he hated them and was yeah. like... The... Well, he's all right with one of them. Yeah, exactly. So it's still not even really... <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's almost like an outlier. Maybe his opinion didn't change at all. You know, I think mm-hmm. 2049 goes into a little bit, but... I th- I think as well with it is I like I like journeys and I, I I like Fall from Graces to be honest. If it was a film about him getting worse and him mm-hmm. going off the deep end and him grabbing his girlfriend or not girlfriend him grabbing her and then he kept doing bad things and got worse mm-hmm. and then he was killed by the replicant at the end and the replicant turned out to be kind of be the good guy. I'd have quite liked yeah. that because that would have been like oh that's a journey mm-hmm. when a character is like presented in a way and then they just do things that you just like I don't support him like Deckard isn't. Uh, this shouldn't be the way cinema works and is ex- is excusable, but like Deckard isn't cool or badass enough to get away with doing something that mm-hmm. uh, horrible to that woman or replicant, whatever you want to say. Doing it to that being is a really horrible thing. Mm-hmm. You go down very, very strongly in respect for that character, regardless of the era and stuff. It's still like, you shouldn't really be doing that to anyone. But if it was like, if you're an incredible badass or if he truly like didn't give a shit in a really cool way or something like that, it would be different. It's more so like he's just a grim kind of grumpy person that's quite unlikable and he's just on this journey in this kind of cool world that's really grim and then at the end he doesn't even really beat the person he's hunting. So it's just all kind of like he didn't even really he almost didn't need to be in his own film mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. That's I yeah, think yeah. that's kind of now I know there's the same joke which is that with oh same joke same argument with Indiana Jones and Raiders where yeah. I think I heard it in Big Bang Theory where I was like he didn't even need to be in the film because the ending spoiler alert for, I love saying spoiler alert for films that are really old spoiler <laughs> alert the Nazis got what they wanted opened the thing and it, it didn't really matter anyway but that yeah. is a fun ride with a character and it's got more elements to it but dark, but because there's no humour in 
uh, Blade Runner, and there's not really any, at least any that I can remember, really cool, amazing action scenes. Like, there's no Death Star run, or there's no, like, sure. you know, it's the ending is kind of the climax of the film, but it's all still in the rain and all very grey, and it's, you know, 80s punching each other. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah. it is kind of what it is. So I think just in, in those realms, it kind of, it fell flat in, in those sort of, in those ways. Um, I, d- I want to ask, are, are there any other, because we're getting towards the end now, um, mm-hmm. but I want to ask, are there any sort of films that either you think are really underrated or you think are very overrated? I know that's a very big question. could be a topic for a whole podcast, but I thought, I didn't know if there are any in particular that you wanted to to mention. Because I know obviously on Comics and Trial and in the Discord chat, there's quite a few <clears> superhero <throat> films that people disagree on. Like, I I, I like most films. I, I genuinely mm-hmm. think there's probably only about 15 films I could name that I genuinely did not enjoy and will not watch again. Mm-hmm. or wouldn't want to there's not that many and mo- you know there's things like fear.com that are just atrocious and i really hate hulk i think electra is a pointless film as well but it's like you know I, hulk for me isn't so bad it's unwatchable fear.com is cats is another one that is that is unbearable that film oh i just plugged unplugged my own headphones i couldn't hear my voice then um mm-hmm. but yeah that you're mentioning some films i've actively avoided there yeah, don't. Cats is one of those films that me and Megan saw at the cinema with Megan's mum because Megan, when she was younger, used to watch Cats on DVD, the um, mm. the play stage version, and her mum really liked it. And so we went and watched Cats. And after the first half an hour, me and Megan, if we weren't with her mum, we would have walked out. And sure. I, I'm I'm glad that I've seen it because I can tell people how bad it is. But right, it's yeah. one of those films where it's like some people have said to me, "Oh, should we watch it?" Because like not with me, they've been like a couple have said, "Oh, Mike, we and Megan, we heard cats are crap. Should we watch it? Because it's so bad, it's funny." I was like, "There are films that are so bad they're funny, mainly horror films, which are mm-hmm. worth a watch. They're silly and fun, and you get enjoyment out of watching how bad they are." Cats isn't that. Cats is just so bad, and it just keeps getting worse, and it just it's never funny. <laughs> it's never. It's I gotta describe it as you get a film that sucks. You get a film that sucks so hard it's funny, but you get a film that sucks so hard. It's not even funny anymore. It's just kind of sad. That's what Cats is. But it's also with really bad music. So you're just suffering through really bad music with no <laughs> redeeming qualities about something that has that makes no sense and looks weird. So it's just, it's just not good at all. I mean, you're selling me on continuing not to watch that movie. Yeah, don't. Um, I don't know. I think I'm like you. I think I try to be as positive as I can be about everything I see and watch if i can find something good to say i'll try Mm. there's not many films that i've seen which i would just outright say say are awful and i would never watch again i mean um one that springs to mind i've got in the locker for my next pick on um vhs strikes back for chris and dave that i might subject them to called ski patrol which is just so bad when my partner and I first got together she was like oh, I love this film as a kid let's watch it and we found it for free on YouTube which is always a bad sign <laughs> um, if somebody isn't worried about taking it off when the whole film's on there what's another one I watch for free like Super Mario Brothers is on YouTube for oh free. my lord yeah I haven't seen that film but I've seen enough of the film to not need to see that film yeah it's a bad sign when they're on there um, like that's pretty atrocious I think yeah underrated is much more interesting let's focus on the, on the positive I'm glad you picked Children of Men I think that's a, a wonderful movie. I think it has one of the best one shots ever in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, which one? The one in the car or the one in the uh, the towards the, the end? City at the end. Yeah, yeah. In, in the city. I, I'm a sucker for one shots. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, another occasion actually where I think the adaptation is better than the source. So I've read the book and I think actually the film is better. Mm, I haven't read that, but that's another like social. That's quite a social realism. Once again, it's, mm. it's a British. Yeah, you know, I love mm. apocalypse films as well. Not. 
not the world is now ending, we're all going to die, like, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. the knowing, um, but more like, you know, <laughs> Book of Eli, um, Elysium somewhat, um, I can't, there's a couple of others that are escaping me right now, but those sort of ones, you know. Yeah, yeah, where it's like kind of one last chance to try and make sure humanity is going to be okay. I mean, Logan's like it, to be fair. Logan's like a, a kind of post-apocalyptic film with yeah. mutants in it, in essence, which is one of the reasons I probably love it so much. Yeah, that's true. As well as, you know, everything else about it is incredible, but still, <laughs> I can't wait to show Megan that film. I'm so excited to watch it again. I think, um, I'm just trying to wrap my brains. There's a couple of films more recent years that I think are really underrated. I really love Super 8 by J.J. Abrams. I've never seen that, actually. I know what it is. I think that's a really underrated movie. Yeah, like the kids are making like their own secret movie and there's like aliens and mad mm. stuff going on. But I think that really, there was a period when JJ was making stuff which really just tapped into what I felt like was my essence. So that that was one of those, you know, like kids in love with film, mm. finding it, using film to to do the right thing and, and, and to overcome problems. And I won't spoil it because there's, a, there's a, you know, stuff that's going on in that movie that, that, is really wonderful and magical, I think. Mm. A film that came out a couple of years ago called The Kid Who Would Be King. Oh. By Joe, Joe Cornish. I think I saw the trailer for that. that is that like a ki- kid's film, basically? Is it, is it yeah, PG? it's like kind of King Arthur, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Sword of the Stone with Rebecca Ferguson as well. I really loved that movie and it absolutely bombed. Um, and I thought it was really quite special. It was like the sort of thing I would have stumbled, and maybe this is why, right? Nostalgia, I would have stumbled across it on Saturday afternoon on tv and i would have put it on when i was 10 and i would have absolutely fallen in love with it i really liked that movie i thought that was really uh really underrated actually i think mm. i deserve to do a lot better i'm quite drawn to those kind of um and always have been like kind of king arthur robin hood dog tanyan those kind of like boys own adventure stories kind of um, like, it's like a parallel history almost yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So even something like, and this is not parallel history, obviously, but I think something, something like Star Lord is a character who like really appeals to me. He fits that mold for me. That kind of idea of like somebody who's like stepping up and doing something kind of against their nature, but then finding themselves through doing it. Mm. Um, yeah, they're the ones which jump out that I, that I can think of off the top of my head that I wish I'd done better. Um, Unbreakable is one of my favourite movies of all time. I've never M. seen Knight, it. Shalaman movie. I've seen Split, but I've not seen Unbreakable. Okay, and, sure. And yeah, I, yeah. I found out like the ending of um, Split is like the mm. longest twist ever because it's a, technically a twist and connects to Unbreakable. And me and my mate who'd not seen Unbreakable, we saw uh, Split. Yeah. And and then there was a big thing in the end, and we were like, "Why is Bill? Why yeah, is Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis in this film?" <laughs> and we were like, and, and and when we were walking out, people were in the cinema going, "Oh my god, I didn't expect that at the end." And I was like, I yeah. said to Reese, I was like, "I'm pretty sure Bruce Willis is in like an older M Night Shyamalan film." I was like, "I think." I was like, "Is it Unbreakable?" I don't know. And we had to. We we're in the car park, sat in my car, going on our phones, exp- mm. looking, explaining the ending, and there it was all like, "Oh, it's basically it's it's like subtly saying this is a sequel to Unbreakable," and obviously then Glass mm. came out, and I was like. To, I mean, clever to you, M. Night Shyamalan, for doing such a long twist, but also kind of fuck you because that I really love that film, but the ending threw me off so much. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's something how I don't understand. Maybe I've missed it in the movie. It's like, no, no, you have to have seen this other film to really fully appreciate yeah. the ending. And it's, I get it, but Unbreakable wasn't like, it's not like, I mean, it's it's a big it's big ish cult wise, but I think a film like Fight Club is probably more watched and more well known in it, for example. And even yeah, that, yeah. if you did a random film that connects to Fight Club, you can't necessarily guarantee everyone's seen that if you know what i mean mm. unbreak was another film like it came out what a year or two after six cents which was obviously mm. massive 
Um, yes. And I do like Sixth Sense, but I, and Breakpoint is another one of those movies that just feels like, I don't know if you, if you get this sometimes, you watch something or maybe, you know, back to music, the, the analogy, you listen to something or you read something, whatever it is, but like you feel like almost that has been made for me. Mm, and that yeah. break was one of those movies I watch it and it just feels like so there's something in that movie that feels like he made that thinking about about what I love and that mm. kind of slow burn and that realization I'm really drawn to father-son stories um you know my dad is still in my life but my parents separated when I was young and I felt like I've grown up with a kind of absentee father as many of these directors seem to have done because so many stories are about about absentee dads. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that really drove who you know who I feel like I am a, a, as a father. So I think you know there's part of that in um, an unbreakable as well. There's that father son story that I'm always drawn towards. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a really special movie for me. And I think if that came out now with the way that it looks at superhero tropes and subverts them, deconstructs them, and does something new, I think people would be blown away. You know, the world of MCU and the and the DC movies and everything else that we get, which I love as much as you do uh, as, as the next person. I think if that came out now, people would be like, oh, wow, you can do this with it. But it came out before, 90s, before this era. 2000, I think, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's, it's one of those films that everyone I know who's seen it says it's amazing. But I, it, mm. it's just one of those, I'm sure you've got this, like either a physical or um, internal list in your brain, which is just like probably 100, 200 films, which are films that you want to watch at some point. Yeah. But because... There's the balance of films that are new and coming out that you want to see to keep up with mm-hmm. the MCU, the DCEU or whatever, or just films that look cool that you want to see, while also potentially showing your kid or your partner or whatever <laughs> another film, which is like, well, I need to show them this film. Then yeah. there's other films which is like, I just really want to re-watch a film I've already seen. And then there's like, do I have enough time to invest in another? And when it gets down to it, there's like just a certain amount of films which just you know, take so long to be able to watch. And it's, you're never yeah. necessarily in the mood to watch it, but you know when you do eventually watch it, you really enjoy it. And a lot mm-hmm. of time it surprises you. And I've got quite a few films like that. I mean, for underrated films, there, there's a couple of people films I really like. like. There's a film called Way, Way Back that I always go on about. And mm-hmm. I was on the podcast, have have not seen this. Uh, and on that, I spoke on Way, Way Back. And the guy, the host, um, Raf, he hadn't seen it and he loved it. And it's... It's just a film I say everyone needs to try and see. It's on Disney Plus now in the star section. Yeah, I've I've not seen that actually. It's it's one of it's one of the best films I've ever seen in my life. Like a <laughs> it's summer coming of age type movie, yeah. Basically, yeah, hmm. yeah. But it's got an all star cast. Got Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell, Maya Rudolph. I mean, Sam Rockwell in anything is phenomenal. Uh, he's one of my favorite actors ever. But yeah, there's like Ex Machina. That's a film I felt mm-hmm. was made for me because that was right at the time I was really into AI and stuff, and I was like yeah. really intrigued by that. Um, and then there's also there's a film called Trance which I mentioned earlier it's a yeah. Danny Boyle film have you, have you seen that one? I think I've seen that yeah that's it's James McAvoy and Rosario yeah. Dawson yeah I have seen yeah, that I yeah I fell in love with Rosario, Rosario Dawson from that film understandable yeah she is a beautiful woman and I saw her in all dead everyone's stuff and I was like I want you to be in everything and then she was a soaker and I was like I want you to be in everything you're just <laughs> I haven't seen anything bad um, but Trance felt like it was a film kind of made for me because at that point I was really into Danny Boyle and I was quite into mm-hmm. psychological things and I was really into James McAvoy because he's fucking brilliant mm. and then yeah I saw I saw that and I was just like afterwards I remember when I saw it at the cinema I was in the car park with my girlfriend at that time because this was years ago and we just sat there and just thought about it for a while it was just because it's a lot to deal with it's a lot about you know psychology what one mm. could be hiding in your own mind and all kinds of other things I won't spoil it but people need to watch it it's brilliant and yeah afterwards I was just like you know sometimes you get a film and it kind of hits you in a good way but you just kind of need time to process it all 
and I think they're some of the best movies. Like I think Shawshank did that to me when I finished that. I was like, that was a lot, but not in a not in a like mouse that we're reading, not in a that's heavy to <laughs> deal with, that's an emotional toll on me. More so just like a lot to take in. Mm-hmm. Um I mean Shawshank does have his emotional bits, you know, the bit with the old man is just so yeah. so powerful, but yeah, I think underrated films. I think I could probably I could probably sit here all day and think about underrated films. But yeah, I think Ex Machina is probably my favorite underrated sci-fi film. I mean, having underrated sci-fi films is kind of hard because you can't. You normally need a big budget to make a good sci-fi film. Unfortunately, nowadays, and normally if you have a big budget, there's enough advertising behind it, so it isn't. Um, yeah, yeah, underrated and stuff. But yeah, that's that's probably my main two. I'd, I'd think. Um, is there anything else you want to add uh, before you can plug yourself um, and whatnot? Anything oh. you want to add? The, the stage is yours. The bit I'm really terrible at the plugging part. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, no, no, no. This has been this has been a joy. Um, thank you very much for having me on. I think it's been nice. I think just to uh, to freestyle a little bit and just to see where the conversation goes. Yeah, and talk about movies with someone who also likes movies. You know, it's a near limitless resource. Yeah, like you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily have a pod. I I, I generally before I started Ginger and Chit Chat, I thought about making a movie podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really did because I was just like I could just talk to anyone about movies but then I was like why don't I just have a podcast where I talk to anyone about anything including <laughs> movies and I can just talk yeah. about movies when I want in there um, so it was delightful to have you on yeah I love just talking to anyone about movies I love them so much so um, God, I sound so wheezy today it's gross um, plug yourself I mean, I'll include links in the description and like, yeah. your Twitter handle and all that sort of stuff and your, and your WordPress site which I really recommend people check out because it's you don't write really chunky reviews you just write like maybe a paragraph or two and you can read it in like um, it's like Pop Grellis you can basically read it in like a minute or so mm. uh, Pop Grellis a bit longer than that so I really like them whenever I whenever you post new ones on Twitter um, I, I do like to check those out so plug that and I'll include that and anything else you want to talk you want to get people to go check out no I mean I appreciate you saying that yeah I mean I think they, they fit the amount of time I have in my life with you know a, a job and two kids and the list of things that I'm trying to get through no, that's the two things really. Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter. That's where I kind of go to to communicate with people and I post all my stuff here yeah, onto WordPress, but that's linked through my Twitter. Otherwise, yeah, please just um, check out the Comics in Motion stuff. So Seasons Greetings, um, Pop Grillers, which is kind of a sister show to, to um, Seasons Greetings. It's all the same people. Tony has his new venture with Indie Comics Spotlight that I'm going to be a regular guest on there now every month. So if people aren't sick of me already, then you're getting me at least one extra time a month now on there. I think that's it for now, other than all the random guest spots, which we get that we every now and then on Comics in Motion. As, as you know, as everyone does, once you start down this world, my cogs are going about things I might want to do myself further down the line. Um, so I guess we never know. We'll see if time allows a little bit in the next six months or so. Um, I've, I still have that passion, as many of us do, of being a writer so wonder if that happens if anybody out there feels like they want to take a chance on on a, on a random nobody because you know i'm not a celebrity i'm not on the I'm not already on the radio i don't have any links i don't I, I can't rely on any parents or anybody already in the industry which um it seems unfortunately to be the only way to get into it but tony and i are gonna keep plugging away and hope that somebody uh, finds us readable at some point um, so that's my next venture, really, is to try and get the novel I've written out there somewhere. We'll see. Amazing. Well, 
best of luck with all that. And if you get nearer for that, you can come on the show and talk about it. Whatever you sort of uh, oh, yeah. desire. I'm always happy to hear t- people talking about things that they are uh, passionate about, uh, be it film or their own uh, sort of ventures. And I'm always happy to try and help them wherever I can, wherever possible, to go and get my audience. Thank you. That's lovely. Yeah. Well, I think I think what I'd really love to do is find more people who want to. Tony, I've spoken about it. Like, I want to find people who are feeling a similar boat, that they want to write and they've got ideas and they're doing it, but they, they can't find the right venture. And I wondered whether there's a there's an idea there of like trying to get us together as a group of people, reading each other's work, trying to improve their manuscripts and getting them to a place where they could be publishable hmm. and, and turning that into a podcast or something. I don't know. There's a little kind of idea that, that Tony and I stuck that I that tony and i have started hmm. um i'm not sure where that's going but it feels like it could could be something so if anyone's got any good ideas that listen to this please feel free to make an idea uh, you know something that can become a reality well i know that um tonya todd is a mutual friend of mm. mine and tony's as well and obviously she's kind of a, a cousin of comics emotion at this point um i know she's writing stuff um, mm. somewhat and I, I know you know her and Tony get on as well so I, I'd say well I think you guys were spoke to her on one of the Buffy things and you was it season yeah, six yeah she came on uh, uh, season five I think she came on five, yeah. yeah yeah so obviously you've already met her and stuff I know she's doing writing and stuff and there's quite a few other mm. people uh, in the realm as well there's a woman called Francesca Rianon who's a friend of Tonya's who's on my show she mm. was the one who'd been podcasting for like 14 to 16 years mm. um, she's into writing and that sort of stuff as well. And I think she's trying to write some stuff as well. There's Frank Burton, who's been on my show. He's uh, He writes books and things as well. So I think if you if you did want to do something like that, um, I can I'm, I can probably think of at least another five people mm, um, who would be able to talk to you somewhat about that. The trick is just mm. listen to every single episode of Genuine Chit Chat there is. <laughs> Ignore all other podcasts, any other life you've got, anything. Just stop it all. Only listen to Genuine Chit Chat. And after listening to hundreds and hundreds of hours, you'll probably find about five people <laughs> who write and you can contact them. Uh, no, I'll, I'll, um, I'll speak to you and Tony and I can uh, provide some people and stuff. I'll uh, mm. if you figure something out because even if you get like a Discord channel or an email thread going or, or something yeah, yeah. vague... I'm sure it's almost like that. a book, you know, it's like almost like a book club, but for unpublished books and, you know, an internal book club. Yeah. 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 And you just, you never know what, you know, it's, it's, it's another way to think about trying to get your work out there really. And the more voices that can contribute to making something better. I'm not one of those people that believes, you know, I've written this and it's now perfect. I mean, the more, the, the more people that can read it and give you some advice on how to, how to fine tune something, the better I think. And, and if they're people who are like-minded, then that, that makes it even stronger. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Well, I'll include all your links and that sort of stuff in the description. It was absolutely delightful to finally speak to you in air quotes face-to-face um, <laughs> and stuff. And um, yeah, we'll talk about films is always fun with anyone. So it was a pleasure to have you on the show. You're always welcome to come back on. And um, well, we'll talk again. I think the next recording due is going to be the, the, the always for the mouse recording. Mm. The happiest graphic novel to ever exist. <laughs> 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 Wonderful. Well, I'll hang it up there. Thanks again, Jack. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Take care. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys. I hope you enjoyed both parts of that chat with Jack. I had so much fun. It's always great talking with another movie buff. I almost could just have a podcast purely about talking about movies, but, you know, my interests are a bit too wide for that, and I think a lot of you guys would get annoyed if this just slowly turned into a movie podcast, because there are plenty of those out there. But it is nice getting the odd episode where I can just natter on about movies and things. So make sure you go check out Jack and all his other things he's involved with. I put links in the description to his Twitter handle and his movie blog, and then as we sort of 
were discussed in this. You can find them on Seasons Greetings, Indie Comic Spotlight, and Pop Gorillas, which are all on the Comics in Motion podcast. Uh, in addition to that, you know, I mentioned about Spider Dan, his links are in the description, and the video that Jack mentioned, I think, in part one, that is in the description as well. It's a YouTube video, it's like five minutes long. It's called How David Fincher Hijacks Your Eyes, and it's absolutely incredible. I've started showing loads and loads of people it. It's just, it's such a great channel as well, the Nerd Writer. Um, he does one about Miracle Man, um, which at the point is called Marvel Man. Uh, he's done a couple of other ones I've watched, like how Ian McKellen acts with his eyes. Lots of cool things. So check out the Nerd Writer as well. Uh, that's not a collaboration or anything. He just has a really cool channel. I think if you enjoyed this conversation, you'd probably enjoy some of the videos he puts out. So what have I got coming up then? Well, next week's episode has not yet been recorded. I'm recording that tomorrow with two very special guests that I'm incredibly excited for. They were inspirations to me and they're in the Star Wars creative realm. That's about all I'm going to give you guys as a hint there. Uh, if you keep an eye on social media, I may end up tweeting at them uh, after we've had the conversation just to kind of be like, I had a great conversation with them, you know, look out for that. I imagine that will just be a one-parter, probably about an hour long. I'm going to see if I can push for a little bit more, potentially, but it just depends on how much time they have in the evening. Um, I Aside from that, I've got a chat booked in with Rhea, who is Jack of this conversation's uh, sister, uh, younger sister, I believe. And so we've got a few things to talk about, um, about, you know, representation and, you know, just general nerdy stuff and that sort of thing. So I'm quite excited about that conversation. Uh, I've also got a conversation due to be recorded with a person who is involved with a Batman fan film, which is quite exciting in that regard as well. Uh, I'm also in talks with another Star Wars individual, but not a content creator like myself, someone who is like actually involved with creating canon content for Star Wars, which is a very exciting thing as well. Um, so lots of cool things in the pipeline, some Star Wars related, some not, uh, but all very much me so take that as you will uh, aside from that guys there is you know the guest spot recently i've done which was on the comics emotion book club the second episode uh, myself jack Rhea, dave horrocks super dummy paul and also tony farina were all involved in a two-hour long conversation about mouse by art spiegelman uh, is a co- graphic novel about the holocaust and it is very dark uh, it has a lot of very obviously sensitive and triggering potentially subject matters within it and I just I had a really enjoyable time talking with the guys and exploring the ideas in that uh, if you haven't read the book you really need to it's, it's absolutely incredible um, but you know even if you haven't you could probably get away with listening to our conversation on it but I would recommend obviously you read it beforehand so that's the main guess what I've done recently uh, the other two was on the have not seen this podcast and on Star Wars timeline links to both of those are in the description uh, aside from that I'm gonna look out to do a few more guests spots here and there because everything's settled a little bit more on my end as in i'm still really busy as i always am but i want to see if i can do some more guest spots and things because they're always a bit of fun it's normally fun just being able to have a conversation with someone recorded and not have to edit it (laughs) that's the main thing i think i enjoy um but yeah that's more or less it from me guys i'm not going to prattle on the end here anymore but you know check out the description i always put quite a lot of show notes that i get a few people comment on saying that they really like how much effort i put into the show notes so thank you to those people who appreciate it because it does take a while and uh yeah aside from that guys you know you can reach out to me on social media at genuine chit chat in all the usual places and links to those things are in the show notes as well and then there's my patreon page that i do with megan and you know we do afterthoughts we do 
There's mainly afterthoughts on there. There's a road trip episode I just released. So me and Megan traveled around Manchester and the Lake District and we recorded two separate podcasts about that. The Manchester one has been up on Patreon for a little while and the Lake District one has just been put up. Uh, So if you want to support the show for as little as £1 a month and you want to get hours of extra content, you want to hear loads more of my voice, much more of Megan's voice because she's in basically all the Patreon podcasts that we do. And you want to get maybe some, I mean, this is a good podcast to plug it. You know, if you want to hear some movie reviews that are only like 10 minutes long or so, you know, we go to the cinema, we see a lot of the Marvel films, and the DC ones. Uh, we also have been doing rewatches of stuff. There's other cool random films we've been watching recently. So going to try and do a lot more of those sort of things, more and more um, afterthoughts. But I know you guys who are patrons have been enjoying those. But yeah, for as little as £1 a month, guys, you can get loads more content and also you support the show. So win-win situation in my view, but obviously I am a little bit biased. But links to that are in the description. You can go to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. Just have a little browse to see what there is. There are three episodes that have been released for free, which is season one of The Witcher, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, and Spider-Man 3 and any eagle-eyed people will know that obviously the Phantom Menace 1 and Spider-Man 3 they've both actually been released on the feed of Comics in Motion already uh, because obviously they're free so don't know if I'm going to release any more free ones for a little while maybe at Christmas I'll let you guys have another free one Um, but for the time being you know 95 if not 98 percent of the content on patreon is exclusively on patreon and the paywall is only one pound a month uh so you know if any of you guys still buy cds or if you buy like dvds or blu-rays if you think one blu-ray now costs anywhere between six pound and maybe 12 depending if it's brand new and it's like a disney one even more than that if you buy one of them it the equivalent of like a couple of hours of content if you put that money towards my patreon once per year you get hours and hours and hours of content and also you get to ask and you can request stuff if you want like if you want to become a support on patreon and you want to know mine and megan's thoughts on a certain film and we haven't done afterthoughts just reach out and ask us and we will do it you know if you guys are paying us money to do these things and we're more than happy to take recommendations and stuff so uh yeah that's my patreon plug but even even though not obviously everyone listening is a patreon if you all were that would be lovely but i appreciate not everyone can afford that or some people just want to support me for free that is perfectly okay listening all the way to the end here is a great way to support me but if you want to support me even more and for you know slightly less financial burdens to it uh then share on social media talk to your friends about the show spread it across people you know rating on podmatch or on apple podcast doesn't cost anything and so if you want to contribute but you can't do that financially please review rate share on social media talk to people about the show and uh, that's going to be it for me um i have just heard there's i can hear in the background so if you guys can hear a little weird noise like a whirring or something megan is cooking in the kitchen i think she's making pancakes right now so if you can if for the last two minutes you've just heard a random sizzle (laughs) that's what that is from because I can hear and it is quite loud but I'm not going to re-record this guys sorry it's right at the end it's the rambling nonsense it's what you can expect so uh, that's it for me guys I'm not going to ramble on too much more thank you as always for listening I appreciate each and every one of you listening all the way to the end and I'll talk to you next week with a very exciting set of guests you have just experienced host creator everything else of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of Star Wars comics and canon found on the comics in motion podcast Mike Burton.